0: of the second chapter. What we'll see here is a particular theme of how the Apostle Paul uh, is instructing the Galatians in something that you and I uh, should remember and live by today, hopefully from this day on. To know that (coughs) as we began our life in Christ through faith, we have to continue our life in Christ through faith. And usually the misunderstanding and the temptation that was given to these Christians in Galatia was that if faith is so simple as it's just nothing more than just believing about Jesus and trusting in him, then you can apparently do that one time and make yourself a Christian and then (coughs) for the rest of your life, You need to start doing things and adding things to your life like little apps on your phone. That life obviously um, is much more complicated than just going and getting saved to go to heaven because from the time you might become saved and trust in Christ to the time that you actually die to go be with the Lord, there's a lot of days typically between those two points. And the temptation between those two points is to fill your walk with Christ with stuff. And that's the trouble with Galatians. And that's what Paul is saying here when we open up to Galatians 2.20 as he references himself and then begins to rebuke the Galatians with a series of questions to cause them to pause and think about their own life. And these are the questions for us this morning as I read them to you. So Paul speaks about himself and says this. I Have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Christ's death is absolutely essential. And here are his questions then. (coughs) O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith. Who are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God. Would justify the Gentiles by faith. preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then. Those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. The theme throughout the letter, and particularly here in a pointed fashion, is faith. That they would believe upon Christ and not depart from believing upon Christ. Sounds redundant. Sounds like a normal thing that a pastor would say. Sounds like a normal thing you would find in the Bible. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus. So why the repetitive nature, why this series of questions? Why, if it is so simple, does it in fact seem so complicated? Why do we need a letter? And why was not one, but a series of churches in the province of Galatia tempted to actually mess that up? Because there's a misunderstanding of faith that I hope we would all recalibrate this morning. That your faith in Christ (coughs) is not this instantaneous, one-time event, but it actually is Your whole life. Because faith, of course, is an intellectual knowledge of Christ that actually produces a volitional movement in your heart that you will the truth of Christ to be true. And that it actually produces affections. that is emotions upon you. That you love Christ. That you entrust your very being to Christ. So therefore, faith is not, if you understand it to just simply be an intellectual understanding of Christ, that you can simply know Him, log that in your catalog, the personal encyclopedia you have backed in your hypothalamus, and then just all of a sudden say, I'm going to move on to something else. Because what faith is, is by necessary consequent, all of you, everything you have, secularists and atheists and Christians alike have all genuflected to the holiness of human consciousness, which is an absolute mystery. That essentially it comes to what is consciousness. And there's a general accord that all say consciousness is Being about something, that is, to be alive, to be human, that is, you cannot help but be oriented towards something, be about something. To be conscious is to take in information from other things, to be interested that you always are thinking and always sleeping and always dreaming and always watching videos and always reading books and always talking. And when you're driving, you argue with yourself, by yourself, in your car, with your mind, because your conscience and you can't help but be about things because your mind is constantly moving to find and look and see and smell and taste and touch. And then when you realize that's what faith is. Your very being. Your intellect and all of your wills and all of your affections. But here with only one object. Christ. To have Christ. And to not look away for a moment. See, the whole thing has to do with a false gospel. That's why at the beginning of the letter, Paul starts off by saying, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting. You're turning away from Christ by just trusting in Christ. So, I'm astonished you're so quickly de- <coughs> deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he says, not that there is actually another gospel, but there is only one. But those who are troubling you want to distort the gospel of Christ. So when he says that, at the beginning of the letter, in Galatians 1, 6 and 7, he's saying, you are turning away from the grace of Christ. And then he says in the next verse, that is called the gospel of Christ. The gospel that they are perverting or missing, what is making it a not true gospel, is they have taken away the grace that is the undeserved favor, that is the um, pure mercy of God in Christ that you receive, You can only receive mercy. You can't do anything else with it. If you do something else, that's called work. Mercy has to just simply be received. And therefore, the reason you can only be saved and continue to be saved by faith is because what faith principally is, is reception. It's taking Him. Faith isn't doing, it's receiving. That's why it opens up in the Gospel of John that all who received Him, that all who have believed upon His name, To receive Christ is to believe upon Christ. So, the only way this gospel works, the only way it's a true gospel, that is, the gospel of grace, the grace of Christ, is it has to simply be received. Received. The temptation always is to do something with your life, to add something to your life, to get accolades, to get accomplishments, to find moral dignity. To per- it, it is a perennial problem. I, even talking to this, this week um, of a dear friend who's lost a loved one, and he grieves deeply, and he says to himself, it's my fault. It's my fault she's dead how? she died of cancer what did you do? she didn't do anything but you see it's always an addition something's wrong and I have to do it I have to make it right it's deep down in the heart I need to work. I need to fix it. I need to make it right. All that pain, all that grief, it moves him to what? Believe Allah. That in some way, if he would have, if, but, when, how, all these questions, no answers. No. Christ. Christ. receive him. Be free from everything. All the things that truly are your fault. And all the things that aren't even your fault. All the lies you tell yourself. And all the true accusations you put upon yourself. Be free from it all. There's a simplicity to all this. That is, we begin our life in Christ by faith in Jesus as our crucified Savior. One. One. And we continue living this life by faith in Christ with cruciform living. Crucified Savior, cruciform living. But the thing that unites them both is it's by faith. But trusting in Christ with all your life. This is why Paul counters their whole problem with his own personal example. So he starts off with them and says, Galatians, don't be doing stupid things like this. He literally says they're fools. Stop trying to fix it when it's not broken. And then he points to himself as an example and he says this, I, I don't live this way and I'm a Jew. Why would I go back to the law to try to fix my life up? He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Flesh and faith. The life you have to live down here in this earth, the things you've got to do, they all have to be done by faith. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. All the toil and struggle of this life, all the reasons why you would sacrifice and give up everything for the glory of Christ, there must be a motivation. There must be gasoline in the engine. There must be something to drive you to give your life to Christ. And for Paul, he says it's nothing more than this. He loves me. He just loves me. I know his love. And he gave himself for me. And every day I wake up, I have to consider myself dead so that I might live to Christ. And even though the world will persecute me, remember in Lystra, there is a city in Derby, a city in Galatia named Lystra, in which Paul walked in, got stoned near to death, they drug him out of the city, and he walked back into the city to preach the gospel. So remember that when he writes to the Galatians, I am a dead man. I have nothing to live for except Christ. And that's not just because he's Paul. It's because he's a Christian. And so he lives like this. (coughs) I saw um, a book that came out a while ago (coughs) by the name Malcolm uh, Gladwell was the author, and it's called Outliers. Um, <clears throat> it, the whole theme or, or thesis of his book was, and it's, a, it's one of those books that he probably wrote because he knew it was going to sell very well, because all the professionals in the world are going to buy it, because it's about outliers, like on a spectrum of people who really excel at their job and do uh, remarkable things with their life. You know, the, the very, like the truly gifted artists truly gifted um, uh, professionals and, and, and whatnot who are able to just do so well in their field. Well, the whole theme of his book was how. How did they get there? Why did they do it that way? Um, was it just pure, natural, raw talent? Or was it a lot of work ethic? Was it a uh, mix between both? Of course, it's a mix. But he came up with this, you might have heard, the 10,000-hour rule. And I apologize if you heard Justin Bieber's song about 10,000 hours, but that's what I'm talking about. So, if you heard that song, you're, you're, you're with me, and I'm sorry. But uh, it is true, the 10,000 hour rule is, um, it takes 10,000 hours uh, in his book, he found out, uh, to really be a master at something, almost anything. Like, I mean a master at a complicated discipline, that is. I'm not not making peanut butter jelly sandwiches, but, you know, doing something very hard. Uh, The the research he he drew from was a series of psychologists who gave themselves to researching expertise. These studies started because they began to study uh, actual chess players, chess grandmasters. And when they found those who were uniquely pointed, like on the scales of who's the best at chess, the ones who were at the top, how did they get there? That's how this whole study started. Um, And they found out that almost... Repeatable was anyone who entered into this grandmaster level of being amazing at chess uh, would have spent around 10,000 hours, which equates roughly, as far as he's concerned, to about 10 years uh, playing chess. They continued to produce the study in all sorts of ways. So they studied athletes and anyone who was at the top of their game, and it matched. Particularly, they studied musical composers. Mozart wrote his first piece of music when he was 11 years old. And it was terrible. It wasn't impressive. It was like Mary had a lamb or something. I mean, that's a good song. I don't know, but I like it because, you know, she had a lamb and it tells a story. It wasn't that impressive. Um... But in his early 20s, which is almost exactly 10 years from then, he wrote Concerto 9, which was a masterpiece. He gave himself to writing music for 10 years straight. Surgeons, residency. Five years. In five years, they work for 48, roughly 48 weeks of a year. They spend close to 16,000 hours, 16,000 hours doing one particular type of surgery, urology, neurology, spinal surgery, orthopedics of some sort. That is, instead of 10 years for 10,000 hours, they spend 16,000 hours in five years just to do this one thing, and they master it, and I hope so. But you see, you must understand yourselves to be a master of grace. Usual course of development for a pastor is to go and acquire a master of divinity. It's what they call these master's degrees, that you would have spent so much hours, which is really the, the, the worst title for any degree ever, to master the divine. Whew. I should probably erase that off my resume. I just think that's blasphemous. But it's the idea that you have given yourself to the study of divinity. Paul is coming to the Galatians and saying, you must begin with faith in Christ. And you must not move. Because in that one thing that you are to do is your whole life. If you will grow, you will grow here. If you will fall from Christ, you will fall at this point. If you will become one of the most saintly, godliest people to ever walk the world, it will be because you have not departed from how you began. Beginning by faith in Christ as a crucified Savior, and then not departing, continuing your whole life, by faith in Christ, living in a cruciform manner of life. This one thing is faith in Christ. The act of your intellect, your will, and your affections. Every day, every morning, every afternoon, when you go to sleep, you fixate that on Christ. Hours upon hours of intellectual meditation, hours upon hours of Bending every will and inclination of your heart. Hours upon hours of submitting all of your affections and emotions to Christ. That you bring all of that in alignment under the cross. And you will be godly. And there is no other place in the world that will make you godly. Every other lie is that you need to go and add things to make yourself godly. You need to go do godly things. You need to go do moral things. You need to make some type of name or title for yourself, whatever virtue that might be. And that will burn in hell. Because it is done of the flesh. It is done by your own initiative. It is done by your own glory, by your own ego. There are so many deep chasms in the human mind that so much of what we do is not from a pure motive. But the gospel of faith in Christ sanctifies all of it because you're actually submitting your whole life to Christ. You are, if you're truly trusting in Christ, considering yourself dead. And by that nature then, everything you do is only for Christ and therefore actually beautiful in the sight of God. Actually beautiful in the sight of God. So, so, so Paul stops them. He says, I have to ask you these questions. I have to put this right out in front of you to cause you to pause. Reconsider your whole life here. And the five questions are these. He says, you foolish Galatians, question one, who has bewitched you? Some type of spiritual oppression has come upon you. Who has bewitched you? Is before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Question two. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did it happen? What is your experience of Christ? Why would you depart from how you began? Are you so foolish? Number three, he says, having begun by the Spirit, now you're going to be perfected by your flesh. By your own human power and in intuition and your drive and your passion to do what you want to do the way you want to do it. You've suffered so many things in vain, if they were in vain. And his last question, he says, He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law? Or does he do so by hearing with faith? That is, from the beginning to the end. That is, how they started with Christ, and how they are presently continuing with Christ, why would you depart from that, Paul says? All these questions hinge on one theme, which is spirituality. True spirituality. Everything has to do with union with the Holy Spirit. Notice the questions. You receive the Spirit, you began by the Spirit, He supplies you with the Spirit all these things that God has done for you by His Spirit, why would you depart from that? Where else are you going to go when God gives you His very self? That you would be united to the eternal, infinite Spirit of God. The beginning of their Christian walk, their discipleship or following Christ, is in the question that you receive the Spirit, not by works of the law, but by hearing through faith. You see the connection. Initially, how how did you start with Christ? I received the Spirit of God. I didn't do anything to get it. I was already dead in my sins and transgressions. I was wicked. I wasn't particularly interested in living through Christ. I kind of thought I had my own life. I looked at my own hands as a small infant and thought they were mine. I lied to myself from my very birth. They weren't mine. I thought this breath was mine. I thought my intellect was mine. I thought my clothes were mine. I thought my thoughts were mine. I thought my plans were mine. And they weren't. And I lied to myself that whole time. And then God invaded my life and said, you are mine. And then, the Spirit of God brought me to a place in which I heard and believed. Hearing and faith. That's the association. He who began this work in you, you receive the Spirit, not by works of the law, just by simply hearing and believing. And then he goes on to say... (coughs) If you began by this, by the Spirit working in your life, forgive me, then you will also be perfected by the flesh, the very thing that condemned you, your flesh, your own ego and your own will and your own motives. Now you're going to get better by that, by that very same thing? You began by God's work of Spirit in your life and you're going to be perfected by your own flesh? No. If you're going to master this thing called godliness, you must give yourself to it every day and it must be 10,000 hours upon 10,000 hours, this one thing of trusting your whole life to Christ. You cannot deviate from that. And so the next question then goes on, not how they began, but their present moment. He says this, God, who at this moment, the verb says, supplies the spirit among you. God at this moment supplies the spirit among you and works miracles among you. Does he do this because you're so righteous? Because of works of the law? Or doesn't he rather do this just because of hearing through faith? Isn't all the power of God in your life simply because you just receive him? Have you really earned anything with him? Why go on starting to do that now? That's his whole point. That's his whole argument to the Galatians. Why would you be so foolish as to depart from the very source of how your life even began? The most pointed thing about how spiritual this all is, is the first question. Because his first question to them is this. You guys are fools. (laughs) Who's bewitched you? Some type of spiritual influence come upon you. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And in reality, it wasn't. There in Galatia, many years later. Hearing by faith. That there is a power to Paul's preaching of the gospel, that it actually produces a spiritual vision, a spiritual apprehension of faith. In which they behold Christ crucified, so much not as just the fact of Christ crucified, but crucified for them. It is this gospel, this gospel that he even says to the Ephesians that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. That is, that the eyes of our heart would apprehend Christ. And the only way to do that is through faith, which is an act of the intellect. See how this is all incredibly spiritual. That it's so spiritual and so powerful that it's almost as if they had a real vision of Christ who was crucified. But in reality, it was just Paul, who maybe before or after was going to be recently stoned, giving his very life for them and preaching Christ to them, that it produced life in them. It's all spiritual. It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. This great gospel, which is that we are cursed. That our father Adam is cursed. This world is cursed. This world is dark and destructive and inhospitable. That we are dark and destructive and inhospitable. That this world will push us through upon the chasm of death in only a few more years. And on the way, we will bite and devour one another. Because we hate one another. Because we are evil. That is the footnote of human history. But God, out of his goodness, so united himself to this world and to us by being born of a virgin. Of a child that is not cursed. Not Born by normal generation. And that this child lived a life that was beautiful. A life that was unheard with thoughts, intentions, and motivations in the heart. That redounded to the pleasure of his father. That is, that all the sparrows and the clouds and the winds and the mountains of this creation witnessed a man walk in their premises who was not like the first man, who actually was a beautiful man, a righteous man, a clean man. And he was witnessed by angels and all alike as this one man who walked through the waters of this world and the sea and the air and everything that corrupted flesh has touched. He touched And he sanctified that by his life. That this truly beautiful man, the only one who's curseless, the Christ, the anointed, was crucified. That he offered his life on that cross. As Romans says, he put himself for you forward by his blood as a propitiation. An appeasement of God's wrath. That it would be received by faith. He did this to show his righteousness and goodness at this present time. So that he would be just and the justifier. Just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. That he could justify you and also justify himself. That he could condemn all sin and also let you go free. That it would all fall on Christ. And that you would see yourself... This is the faith. That you would see yourself crucified with Him. This intellectual act. That's what faith is. Is that you would lay hold of Him. And believe upon Him. And trust your whole life in Him. That is, all of your evil thoughts that you've ever had about yourself. All the condemning thoughts and unworthiness and guilt and insecurities. And every lie, whether true... Every lie or falsehood that you have about yourself was pinned to Jesus Christ on that tree. That he absorbed everything wrong with you. If you get that, you will be tempted by nothing this world offers you. Not only that thought, all your thoughts about yourself, but every thought you've ever had of anybody. Every time you've lusted for someone else's body. Every time you've envied for that person that's not as smart as you or as good as you but has more than you. Every time you've been angry and you've clenched your teeth with hatred, all that hatred fell upon Christ. He absorbed it all. That is, on that mangled man on a tree. The reason you're saved by faith is because by faith you consider Christ in your thought. And if you think yourself in Christ, then God thinks you in Christ. Faith is more complicated than that, but it's not less than that. That if you consider yourself dead in Christ that's believing upon him, then God himself considers you dead in Christ. And all your sins dead in Christ. And therefore, if you consider yourself now alive in Christ, then you do in fact have life in his name. And as Romans 4 says, he was raised for our justification. Raised for our righteousness. So as we approach this table, realizing That this life we live in the flesh, we live by faith. You have to see that this flesh is offered to you today. This flesh is, if you take hold of this flesh, which is just mere bread. If you take hold of it by faith. If you say, that is for me. I want Christ in me. I want to consume him. I want him to be mine. Then he's yours. Then he is simply yours. Because the burden I have personally and pastorally Is I want to be godly. I want us to be godly. To say I want to be, another way to put it, spiritual. Churches love getting excited about things, they love it. They love getting excited about programs. Churches love getting excited about new visitors. And I know I could fill my schedule with all sorts of things if I wanted to. But I want to be godly. What if I want that? What if I want to do one thing really well? What good is it if we could be an engaging and dynamic church, but we have no power to make men and women godly? What is the point? The spirituality of all this is that we know from Romans 8 for those who live according to the flesh set their minds, their intellects on the things of the flesh and those who live according to the spirit set their minds, their intellects on the things of the spirit for the mind focused on the flesh is death and the mind focused on the spirit is life and peace. You must begin by faith And you must never depart from faith. For that is your intellectual life. And therefore your spiritual life. That you would lay hold of Christ. And the life you live in this flesh. Paul says you would live by faith. That is you have no will of your own. You have no money of your own. You have no time of your own. No thoughts of your own. No family of your own. No career of your own. No hobbies of your own. No desires of your own. You have died. You're dead. And now everything you do in this life. You live to Christ. And if you try to live that for one day and you do okay, do it again for another day. Do it for 10,000 hours. and You will be godly. You will walk with God and you will talk with God. And you will begin to walk like God and talk like God. That is what we want. For everything else is just ashes and dust. Dear Father God, we understand we are turning to dust. We understand, Lord, that you are not. For you have raised, you are in a body that we will soon participate and have a body like yours. But until that time, Lord, we humbly thank you that you have given us the privilege to approach this table. For it is not just any table, It is attached with promises that are greater than this cosmos. Father, for all of us who want to truly be spiritual, to have sweet communion with your spirit as we would die to ourselves and live to Christ, dear Lord, let us take this bread and cup and render ourselves dead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.